my grandmother was a real estate agent back when I was in high school. And I always loved looking at this stuff. And I was trying to find like, what really, what am I going to, where am I going to go in life? Right. And real estate was something that always intrigued me. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Our guest today started buying real estate while a senior in high school, now owns over 4,000 units. His name is Dave Codera. Dave is co-founder of Greenleaf, an Atlanta-based real estate investment firm. And since its inception as a two-man venture, Greenleaf has grown its geographic footprint to encompass several states in the southeastern U.S. The growing portfolio currently includes apartments, mobile homes, and commercial properties. Dave oversees investment management, capital projects, oversight, financial reporting and budgeting, and operational execution with a focus on leading with innovation and goal focus. You're going to hear over the next few days, Dave and I go into, and how did he get started as a senior in high school? It's an incredible story that I've not heard too many times where somebody can actually buy a piece of real estate while they're still in high school. It's an incredible task to accomplish. Unfortunately, most are not focused on those type of things during that time, but he was, and you're going to hear a little bit about that, but also how he grew into moving to Atlanta and moving into commercial real estate, his focus in commercial real estate as well, and how that has changed. I hope you'll stick around for the next few days because we're going to dive into many things around what he's expecting over the next year, how he's prepared from reserve budgets and even just their strategy with their assets, even to qualified opportunity zones. What are opportunity zones and why this could potentially mean some buying opportunities for you in the very near future? Our guest today has over 4,000 units under management and has deployed over $750 million of capital. And I am looking forward to this conversation. He's been in this business for a number of years now and across numerous states, even looking at his website. His team has grown and he is operating at a level that I'm striving to get to myself. So Dave, welcome to the show. All right. Thank you very much, Whitney. Pleasure to be here today. I've listened to numerous episodes, so I'm excited to talk a little bit and see what we can cover today. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I want to help the listeners and myself as much as possible and learn from you and because you, you've definitely got in there and made it happen. And, and so I'm looking forward to hearing your story. Dave, why real estate? When did real estate begin for you? Let's dive into your, you know, just getting into commercial real estate as well, specifically. I really, I mean, a lot of people have read that Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Kiyosaki book. And actually, my grandmother was a real estate agent back when I was in high school. And I always loved looking at this stuff and I was trying to find like, what really, what am I going to, where am I going to go in life? Right. And real estate was something that always in, intrigued me. So I, I bought my first rental property right around my senior year of high school, which was a $20,000 row home that I had saved up from shoveling. I grew up in Pennsylvania. So shoveling snow and mowing lawns, and I was able to buy one of my first rental properties that my grandmother helped me do. And I was, my goal was really to just buy those and try and have some income from it. And eventually it went from passive to active over the years as it continued to grow. Wow. It moved down to Atlanta. I want to ask you about something there, though. It's so interesting that you're, as a senior in, in high school, you purchased rental property. Wow, congratulations, just making that happen. What was the influence there, though? Was it the grandmother mostly? Were there other influences in the family that was like, made you want to pursue yeah. something? It's not the no. norm as a junior senior to be thinking like that, you know, in long-term investing, explain a little bit of that. You know, I came from a family of entrepreneurs. My dad started a business 
with his family members and they operated that for almost 40 years that they did it. So I kind of grew up in that that mindset of a family and the real estate part was always something where this is something you could buy and you could go do work on it yourself instead of most high school summer jobs, at least when I grew up, were mowing lawn or caddying or doing something like that. But this is where something I could really go out there and and work on it and add value to it and then receive that that rental income. And you know, some of that comes from just the rich dad poor dad book of like, hey, this is a good long term way to look at things. So I saved up my money to do that. I mean, I got a mortgage on that house when I was eighteen. So it's like it was an interesting journey starting with that. I eventually got up to about 15 of those little single family homes, row homes that I was able to buy. And I just managed those. And that was really my, when I went through college, that was my income that was coming in the door was from that stuff. So incredible. So you purchase these, you know, 15 single family homes, you're managing them while you're in college. <laughs> what, you, what an experience or education right there by itself, much less outside of college, you know, while you're doing that at the same time. I love that. Speak to though, okay, 15 single family homes now, you're in college. Where did the real estate business start to take off? Was that your plan? Was that, you know, what were you in college to do or did that change? That was, you know, when I was starting, that was always my plan was to get a job, save as much as I could to then go deploy that and buy real estate. It wasn't, and I did that for a number of years before I really even thought about the syndication aspect or even approached the idea of like, hey, maybe I should bring on investors to do this. And I was in school in Washington, DC, and I owned stuff in Eastern Pennsylvania. So I was driving back and forth all the time. And it was definitely a challenge for a number of years. And eventually I was like, there's got to be an easier way to do this, or at least I should buy stuff that's closer to where I'm physically at instead of doing that. But I did that for a number of years. I probably, it would be nicer to have a mentor that explained, Hey, maybe you don't need to go do this crazy distance. In that I, I moved to Atlanta around the 2008 timeframe when, when everything got pretty challenging in the, in the real estate world, 2008, 2009, mainly because there were some great opportunities in Atlanta that I wanted to take advantage of. So, and over the years, you know, I had met some great people. I had two business partners at the time and moved down to Atlanta to start buying stuff down here. So I could be one closer to it. There were better deals and easier to operate. Don't get as much snow down here in Atlanta as we do in uh, Pennsylvania. So it's helpful. Oh, that is so helpful. One of my employees is in South Dakota and I, they have to go out like every few hours and shovel or else that, like it gets too deep. I mean, she showed a deer trying to travel through the snow and it's like blow his chin. I just can't even imagine having to deal with that. But I, I don't blame you for moving to Atlanta to get, get away from some of that. So what did your portfolio look like when you made that transition to Atlanta? You know, so you'd already purchased a number of single family homes, you know, had, had figured out, okay, this is, you know, something I want to pursue. You already had a couple of business partners as well. What did the portfolio look like then before you moved? Yeah. So I had some of the single family homes. I had some small apartment buildings in Pennsylvania that I couldn't just sell and exit right away. So I was operating those for a few years as I moved to Atlanta. And one of the main things I was always good at or what I did was the operator. So the first properties I bought, I mean, I did all the renovations myself. I didn't have a team. It was more me just trying to go figure things out and do it. And I was lucky that I had some great contacts in Pennsylvania that could help me with you know, figuring things out. But I did all that work and I brought that down to Atlanta so I had a little bit up there and in Atlanta really started as an operator and it was, we grew a basically single family management company out of the gates. That was the fastest way really, you know, when I was in my late twenties, like how are we going to make some revenue 
to keep the lights on to start with. And it was uh, property management that really led the way for that. And that was when a lot of people were struggling to sell homes. So they were like, hey, I, I can't sell this home. What am I supposed to do with it? And you know, me and my business partner that I had down here were like, hey, we'll step in and we can operate this and we'll lease the home for you. And we weren't real estate agents. So we're like, look, if you want to sell it in the future, happy to use whatever real estate agent you want to sell it. And we'll lease it for you in the time frame and, and manage it. And we did that for a lot of single, couple hundred single family homes in the Atlanta market for really the first three or four years. And that was our way into the Atlanta market. That's how we built a lot of our contacts. And we were able to then start securing deals that way because I didn't know a single person when I moved to Atlanta. We had to go, had to go build that, build that network and go meet people. And that was a great way to do it. So management really led the way of, of understanding the market, seeing what's out there and meeting people in the space. Yeah, that's awesome. What about, you know, you moved to Atlanta. Were you married then? Were, was your family on board with this move? What, you know, what did that look like? It was a little bit easier. I wasn't married and I didn't have any kids. So not too long after that, though, I, I, I got married a few years after coming down here to Atlanta. So yeah. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I always yeah, wonder, you know, how did people get their family on board with making a decision, big move like that? Uh, thankful, you know, you did that even before you were married. So uh, that's that is awesome. So you moved to Atlanta, and then how did you get established there? So I mean, the property management was really the key point of getting things going, and then from there we branched out into some other cities that were around Atlanta. When you look at the South, you look at Georgia. Atlanta is obviously a huge market, but there's a bunch of other cities that go out from there. I mean, University of Georgia in Athens, although they do well this year, that going up to Gainesville, you go to Greenville and Charlotte, you, you, know, you kind of work your way all the way up 85 and it's a huge growing corridor. So really going up and down that path endlessly for years on the management side, we were able to start securing deals in that footprint as well. Wow. And that's where really, you know, we started buying deals that were really just smaller in size, not like 200 plus apartment units at one time. That's pretty competitive space. Even back then it was competitive. So, but we can pick up 50 unit deals and 80 unit deals here and there with really little competition. And one of our best kind of kickoff stories is we go to a property we're looking to manage and it was, it was maybe like 45, 44 townhomes. And we're talking to the woman that owns it. And she's like, you know, we mentioned, we're like, Hey, you know, we, we consider just buying this from you. And she's like, you would, you would buy this place. <laughs> we're like, yeah, we, we would buy it. She's like, what else would you buy? And she drove us around and she pointed out all these different apartment complex and stuff that she owned. And we bought the majority of them from her and we still own some of them to this day. That's 12 years ago now that we first met her. So it was an interesting conversation. You kind of, you take a lot of these meetings and see where they go. And from that, we got some great deals that we still. Deal analysis, the number one critical skill every multifamily investor must know. Want to take your investing career to the next level? Then check out Think Multifamily's Deal Analysis Workshop. For more information, go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash D-A-W. Interesting. I want to come back to that investment strategy a little bit. You talked about, you know, you own some now that you purchased 12 years ago, but obviously you all have grown a lot since then as well. And I want to Back up a little bit for those who are getting started in this space, or maybe even the high schooler that's that's listening to this. I hope so, and I hope they're motivated by your story. Now, what would you say? Well, you know, what would you do different if you had to think back to you know you being that senior that's looking at that single family home and knowing the path that you've taken? What would you say to that senior today, as far as how you did it, or maybe how you would advise differently? Real estate is you know, it's a long game. 
And it should be a long game. I think you don't want to try and jump in and try and make money instantaneously. A lot of guys, even people that are saying, hey, get a mentor and you know put in some free work so you can learn. That's so important if you're going to start out in real estate. Most of the people you meet that are successful in real estate, they're like, oh, I've been doing it for 50 years. You can't fast forward 50 years. You've got to start at some point. And really starting in the operating side or anything you can do to be hands-on with the property to understand how they work just enables you to make better investment decisions down the road of like what type of stuff to buy, what type of stuff not to buy. And it helps you with your financial modeling, helps with underwriting, everything. You understand why insurance rates are different when you're buying a building built in the you know, 80s with polybutylene piping that's going to burst all the time when it gets cold. It's like, you don't want to buy that. It's going to be a headache. If you're in there able to you know, see that in your younger years and you're 18, 20, 22, and kind of get these disaster experiences that you look back on in our, in our great pieces that kind of mold how you make decisions. I think that's important when you're starting out. So be willing to, to work for free, right? And you're gaining such an education. It sounds like, you know, by being willing to work for free. Uh, speak to finding that person you'd be willing to work for. I know you had some family members that were entrepreneurs, which is so helpful, I think. But any advice on how you guide people to hey, find that that property management company or that operator that you're willing to go, you know, put some time in with? When I started, though, the only way to really do that was to literally go and knock on doors. There was no, you know, we didn't have like meetup groups. I started in early 2000s. So there was no, or at least that I knew of, there was no meetup groups. There was no like online forums. I think we had AOL Messenger. I don't think that was a good way to do it, but... You know, it was really just going to different real estate shops, knocking on the door and seeing who was there that I could talk to. That was how I started doing everything. It's a, You can reach a lot more people now with just anything like this or social media or any way to get out there. So, But the concept is still the same. Still got to reach out to people and be willing to be vulnerable and say like, hey, I, I want to bring value to you. This is how I can help. This is what I can do. You know, give me a chance. And I, I think doing that is really the best way to get started. Let me keep a real estate income. What about the the transition to Atlanta and now scaling? Some tips there, maybe some challenges that you face that you could help the listener with, even through that transition from smaller, you know, units, single family, small multis, to now being able to do large assets as well. When I first moved to Atlanta, so I had two other business partners that I was good friends with, and I, and I had met over the years, and we moved to Atlanta. And the group of three of us like, hey, you know, we're going to go, we're going to start buying some bigger apartment buildings now. And look, we're going to have to show up and do all the work. And one of our partners is like, I don't think that's for me. I don't necessarily want to do that. We bought this 70 unit apartment building that we bought for 900 grand. So you can imagine the condition that it was in. And we did a ton of the work on that thing ourselves. So, you know, moving down to Atlanta in that transition, we had to go find all the trades. We had to go find everyone to help with. But that property management experience helped us know what to look for and what to do. But yeah. it was really got to start somewhere. So we took that first bet and we did a bunch of the work ourselves across that whole complex and learned a ton from it. And, and the investment did great. So, But it was a long-term strategy. We weren't trying to flip anything. We purchased it and we were aiming to hold it for a long term. Speak to your strategy a little bit. I know you mentioned that you, you know, you own some even today that you purchased 12 years ago. What was your strategy back then and how has that changed to today? Back then, I mean, my original strategy was to see how many more checks. I thought like if I had more checks coming in than I had going out on a high level, that should, that should be successful. So it's like, just get more money coming in the door than you have going out the door. Pretty basic thought process. 
And from the investment side, it's really knowing, you know, knowing what we are good at and what what I can do as an operator. So most part, buying one and two story brick garden style projects. And now, you know, those are apartments. Those can also be medical buildings that can have an industrial flex feel to it, the office, but it's all the same type of an asset if you were to look at it. And I can operate that stuff and I, and I understand that stuff and we know what to do when we're in those assets. I think if you're looking at investment decisions and you're, you're trying to pick that stuff, there's a lot of sexy things out there that you're kind of like, Ooh, should I go do this development project or should I buy this, this fancier looking asset and kind of shied away from that and just stuck to what I've, what I've known over the years. And, and that's really been kind of the guiding, the guiding principles of what we invest in. We operate everything that we own. So if we can't operate it, we're going to run into some challenges so we don't buy that stuff. Maybe you can help help me and, and the listeners as well with that thought right there. It's like staying focused on what you know versus being willing to, say, go dabble in some development or go dabble in some self-storage or mobile home parks or, you know, or, you know moving across different asset classes. I mean, some operators I know are in a half a dozen different asset classes, right? And I would say often they're probably not the operator, you know, of all of those, right? But how do you look at that? How do you keep your team so focused and and not get the shiny object syndrome, right, that we often talk about? I, yeah, I think as as a leader, I mean, I definitely have, I'm not perfect at that. I don't think anyone is, but you've got this kind of like, hey, I want to go do all these other things because they sound great and they're fun. And your team is looking at you like, what is this guy doing? Like, I thought we did this. Why are we going to shift to do this now? So I think that's it's kind of a discussion you've got to have with yourself of keeping your yourself and your firm focused on what you're good at and what your team is good at. And there's always opportunities just to invest in that in the other asset types passively. As you're out kind of in the game, meeting everyone in real estate, find a good self-storage operator or a good hotel operator. It's probably easier to just invest with them than it is for you to say, hey, I'm now going to stand up my own hotel division and I'm going to become an expert in operating hotels you know, instantaneously. It's like, it's probably not going to happen. Those are completely different than than apartments, even though it's it's still real estate. It's still the same at Greenleaf. We're we're sticking to just what we know, and that's that stopped us from doing a lot of deals. Your development over the past probably seven eight years has been phenomenal in the multifamily space, but we don't build stuff. We don't. It's not a skill set that we have. It's not one we've developed. So we we buy and we operate efficiently. So I've never built anything. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for being laser focused, right? And and being really good at this thing that you do. Whatever it is, like you said, if you're the hotel operator, great. If you're multifamily, great. If you're development, whatever it may be, uh, there's just a lot to be said for being, your, especially your whole team, right? Being focused on this thing and just you know, all the reps, right? And getting better and better and better at that thing. So I, I can relate to that completely. I know we've debated about some other asset classes, but... I think it will be a slow go. And and even then, we're going to keep focusing on what we're focused on as well, which has been multifamily. Yeah. So, you know, speak to finding those those promising deals. And, and I know we don't have a, a ton of time right now to go into your whole deal criteria or finding process, but maybe you can lay out your deal criteria now since it's probably changed, you know, over the last many years, right, since you got started. But what's your deal criteria yeah. now, you know, for your team and walk through a little bit of that process of finding those deals now? Because I know you're spread out across all the South, you know, num- number of states in the Southeast. Yeah, so now, you know, based out of Atlanta, but we are buying deals that are in multiple states. But we really look at that, you know, if you know about Atlanta, 85 is the highway that goes all the way up to Raleigh, Durham, up in North Carolina. So we're really sticking to that 
that corridor. And we, we like that corridor because of the population growth that's there. You look at states in the Southeast, they've had a, they've had tremendous population growth over the past five, 10 years. So we're really just trying to invest where growth is happening. You know, again, we're not building, we're not developers. So we'll buy stuff that's right next to very large developments where people are pouring, you know, 50, a hundred million dollars into projects. That's exciting for us because we get to be part of that growth, but we're taking on way less risk when we make our investments in that stuff. And then also, you know, just basic criteria. We're not trying to do the biggest and fanciest deals. So our typical deal is between five and $20 million. We really haven't done any deals. I've, I've done probably 130, 140 deals and nothing over only a few deals that have over been over $20 million. You know, it's kind of this spot of it's expensive. If you're going to do it on your own, five to $20 million, not many people can write a check for that, that range. But if you're a big institution, you don't really want to buy a $10 million deal. So we're kind of in a middle ground spot there. And there's a, there's a good amount of operators that stick to that sweet spot. So that's, that's where we are. And then the other investment side is really making sure we can operate it. It's got to be an asset that is where our team is. It's got to be in our path of growth as a business. And we have to be able to get to it easily and get home from it easily. So we've got to be able to do those three things. And Quite frankly, that cuts out a lot. That cuts out a lot of opportunities where you, know, you could go somewhere else, or you kind of stretching your team too thin, and you're probably not going to see great returns when you do that. So we stick to that part, and it's been working. We don't plan to change it for right now. So yeah, no, it's incredible. Again, I was looking over your website earlier and and noticed a number of assets that you all have that are very interesting. I want to jump to that and maybe in, a, in the next topic some as we dive into some different strategies you know, that you all have used. And so I want the listeners to know, hey, we're going to have Dave for a couple more segments and I'm looking forward to more conversation and diving into how he has been so successful in this business and his team. And, and I know you are going to learn a lot. I'm going to learn a lot. I expect to anyway. And, and Dave, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you just being willing to share me so transparent about your yep. path to a multifamily success or just real estate success. I know you're doing a number of things in, in the real estate business now world. And Tell the listeners, though, how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Yeah, thanks. Our website is greenleafmanagement.com. Just kind of as it sounds, you can find me on LinkedIn. I just Dave Codray, also at Greenleaf Management. So. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today. 